Well, good evening. It's a great joy and delight to be with you, and I am most grateful to your bishop for his invitation and for your rector's invitation to be with the congregation through this weekend. I had a remarkable experience with your people at Canuga. I don't think I have ever seen an intergenerational congregation so wrapped up in loving one another. Thank you for being who you are. Suffering is all around us and within us. Most of our news reports deal with suffering, whether it's Greta Thunberg lamenting the state of our planet and the elders who have let it happen, or the deep anxiety in Britain about leaving the EU, or the conflict in Washington over what is or isn't proper presidential behavior. Today's readings are filled with suffering. Jeremiah is wailing over a conquered and empty Jerusalem and the exile of most of its people. That kind of war and violence continues today in Syria and Yemen, in Kashmir and Myanmar, in Venezuela and El Salvador. Refugees yearn for home and peace, for the freedom to worship and the ability to raise their children in safety. The psalmist says that music and singing have stopped in exile, for there is absolutely no reason to rejoice. The psalms are often brutally honest about the reaction to suffering, and the one we have said today um, ends before the most objectionable part. It ends by saying, we're not going to forget the violence done to us, and we pray that your children will die in equally brutal ways. Paul speaks about the suffering that comes of following the way of Jesus, sometimes mortal violence, sometimes exclusion and ridicule, but always grounded in hope. Jesus' followers then and now know both reactions, both human reactions to pain and suffering. They are part and parcel of our created nature. We are biologically wired to flee violence or resist it, sometimes brutally. We are also biologically wired to be compassionate in the face of suffering. Which response wins? As that old Cherokee tale puts it, the one you feed. Paul is feeding Timothy in his letter. He says, God didn't give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Guard the good treasure that's been entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living within us all. Jesus is continually feeding his disciples with food and food for the soul. Luke's passage today includes servings of courage and patience, both of which are essential for compassion and transforming societies. Maybe you know something about that Hebrew word chesed, it's about faithfulness 
and loving compassion. It describes God hanging in there with us for the long haul, that long road toward the much-dreamed-of destination that's buried in the depths of our souls. The apostles are asking for more faith, more confidence in the reality of that dream, more courage to stay the course, even if they will not waken to its fullness in this life. So Jesus assures them that a stout-rooted mulberry tree would move to salt water if they had even a whisper of that abiding faith. And then he asks a series of ridiculously rhetorical questions. Would you ask a slave to feed himself before he fed the owner? Wouldn't you tell him to serve your dinner and eat his later? So what if he's a field hand and now you want him to cook and serve dinner? He's supposed to be at your command. And would you really bow down in thanks after the meal? And then comes the zinger. So, you students of mine, do what God commands. And when you're asked, just say you're doing your job and no pay is expected. That shouldn't be a bitter pill. It's simply what it means to walk the way of Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor, come hell or high water. And I think the people here in Atlanta know something about high water. The hellish experiences of flood and drought, fire and disaster, usually bring out the deepest sort of compassion for strangers. Compassions for former, compassion for former enemies, for all kinds of neighbors. And almost nobody asks to be paid. The little disasters are harder for most of us. We expect that somebody's going to show up on time or do us a service in a very particular way or use a turn signal before changing lanes. We think we're in charge of our lives, and then some chaos intervenes. Which response takes over, threat or compassion? Years ago, I watched an interaction on an airplane that has stuck with me. A man sitting by the window in our row very deliberately undid his seatbelt, turned around, and knelt on his seat and gently said to the fellow behind him, I'm really worried about you. The fellow behind had been leaning on his tray table and banging on it, was attached to the seat in front, and the whole seat was vibrating. I don't know if he was mentally ill, in despair, or drunk, but he sat up and stopped and settled back into his seat. The man in front addressed him with compassion and prompted a peaceful response rather than a violent one. Another time, I was flying back to Las Vegas from some church meeting. The flight attendant had brought the couple to my left 
a bottle of champagne, for they were newlyweds. Some minutes on, I realized that one of them had thrown a full glass of it into the face of the other. I took out a business card wrote the name of a marriage therapist's book on the back, and said to them, congratulations on your marriage. This might help in the days and years to come. Both of them teared up, and I prayed that their stay in Sin City might be a joyous one. We can practice compassion It can seem really hard to intervene when a stranger is upset, but it gets easier once you start. Simply speaking gently to a stranger, saying something like, can I help, often helps the person self-regulate. In other words, to love himself or remind her that she is loved and lovable. Friends of Jesus are meant to show compassion toward all neighbors, human and not. We don't get paid for it. But the peace that comes instead of fear or violence is an amazing blessing to everyone in the neighborhood. Approaching with a smile rather than a scowl works wonders. Asking ourselves, why is that person upset? can slow down our own anger and invite us into compassion mode. We spent yesterday morning at Canuga thinking about compassion and wondering how it becomes leadership, how it can help to transform suffering. Much of the world's suffering comes from what we call structural evil, that isn't just somebody being nasty. And a great deal of it has to do with defining some people as unworthy of love or subhuman. All of the isms are part of structural, cultural structures that do just that. Racism, sexism, body shaming, discrimination against children or elders, the differently able, Immigrants, the poor, like the man beaten by robbers on his way to Jericho. The Samaritan wasn't supposed to be in community with him, but he saw a hurting human being and acted. He took responsibility, which is what Jesus keeps telling his disciples. You can heal. Go do it. What's our responsibility in the face of community suffering? We see those remarkable responses to natural disasters like the gutting and rebuilding after Katrina. What about the devastation in our inner cities? Poverty is a real pain, and it's rampant. Most of it is the result of structural injustice the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, 
the removal of Native Americans from their homes and cultures, redlining, inadequate school financing, inequitable taxation, prioritizing individual ownership and profit-making over the well-being of whole communities. By now, I expect you think I've gone from preaching to meddling, but that's my job. It's our job as Christians. Some of you probably know about William Barber, a pastor in North Carolina who has been bringing people to the State House for Moral Mondays, asking the faithful to prod legislators to act compassionately, to love everyone as they love themselves. Moral Mondays is in Georgia, too. Start by naming the suffering. You just might produce some compassion in your hearers. Name the outlines of justice. Paint a picture of what healing looks like. Be patient. It does mean suffer. Be patient and persistent like the widow pounding on the judge's door. Nag if you have to. Be peaceable and creative. Passionate and pesky, but don't be passive. Love isn't rude but it stays true. It keeps on the road toward God's justice. Our ability to be compassionate brings peace and justice in small ways and large. We are on the road to justice, the kind of justice that the Hebrew Bible calls shalom, the reign of God. That's where the Jesus road is leading. Time to get on the road again.